deserve to get paid top comp simply because I'm a part of some massive group? I don't. I yeah, really and I don't. I think lenders are also seeing that. I think so too. Like, and I think this doesn't we work. need to earn our way to top comp. We need to earn our way to access. And just because you can have some name behind you is not going to force a relationship. And I think they're going to look at efficiency ratios. I think that they're going to look at your overall volume and how you treat each other. And just in general, I think relationships are going to become more important individually than the network you're affiliated with. Right relationships and reputation be right. careful what you say online be careful what you write online be smart about what lender you're attacking that day because they couldn't get you a deal done i think all of those things will come into a play in terms of the next five to ten years as well even further than online which i totally agree with sometimes i'm like you know they read this right the most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Christine Buman and Jake Abrahamowitz. Jake recently posted in our Facebook group a link to an article that was Nesto had got $76 million in investment. And he was just curious what people thought about that. And so Christine and, and I and Jake jump on this podcast to talk about that plus a couple of the topics. So a few things we covered were Nesto's $76 million investment, what it means for you as the average mortgage broker. We talked about open banking. What is open banking? How is it going to affect the mortgage industry? What sort of changes can you expect there? And then finally, we talked about this idea of collaboration versus competition, because ultimately, you know, mortgage brokers, at least in Canada, have a very small percentage of the market share. And so how do we collaborate better instead of like beating each other up so that we can uh, get more market share? I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Check it out. Hey, guys, welcome to the show. And so today we've got a few different topics that we're going to dive into. And the first that we're going to talk about, we just saw recently, and this came from a post that Jake shared in the Idle Mortgage Brokering Group, which is Nesto got a $76 million infusion of cash, which would be pretty awesome. Let's be honest, if we all got $76 million in our bank account. And it got him thinking, and I got Christine here as well, so we're going to talk about that. So I'll ask Jake first, since Jake actually posted that. Tell me about this investment with Nesto and what do you think it means for the average mortgage broker as well as for Nesto? It's a blank check. Power Financial Corp is a blank check company nowadays where they're just trying to get into this market. My prediction is that Power will end up buying Nesto or somebody will because Power also backs Wealthsimple. Wealthsimple is trying to get into the mortgage space. They're hiring like crazy. Listen, the market is huge. It's anywhere between 100 to 150 billion. We all have room in this market for us, for brokers that are manual versus Nesto that's automated. But it's not something that I will sleep on because anyone with a wealth simple trading account or a quest trade account, now an equitable bank, potentially savings account will, will be targeted by equitable to go through Nesto. I just don't want to be blind to the potential threat that is on the horizon for us brokers. Right. What are your thoughts, Christine, on this? Yeah, I think that Nesto has the ability to completely change the lending landscape. And I think it's coming. I don't know what we can do to prepare other than just honestly stash as much money away as we can. <laughs> like make hay while the sun shines. Because I guess two things, I would say just be prepared that it will change and just be fluid, be open to change, be curious about what's coming next so that we can be prepared. I don't think as individual brokers, there's really anything that we can do. I mean, we hear a lot about technology in our space, which essentially means CRM, document collection, CRA polls, all of those things. Every one of those you know, moves the needle a little bit. But I personally think that it will be completely revolutionized if and when open banking comes to Canada. 
And I think that they have the ability to invest in the technology, which will set the infrastructure. And honestly, I think that we can all piggyback off of their investment as well. Right. The thing I noticed too, but when you look at these kind of large trends, if you look at the US, so Quicken Loans has been down there for a long time. Nesto seems to me like a version of Quicken Loans, that rocket mortgage. And they have a decent market share, but they don't have the entire market. So there is still a place for the traditional mortgage broker who understands the, you know, sales. Like I think we talked about marketing. And so I don't think we're going away, but if you want to compete, you should be adopting some tools and you should be making your process as efficient as humanly possible and not stay back in the stone ages. You want to think about what's best for your customer. Frictionless is I think the thing. So as of last week, Fannie Mae is allowing a third party digital verification for income and assets for lenders. Right. And that'll come here oh. eventually too. I suspect that'll be like, what's the trend right now? I don't even know the fashion bucket hats. My daughter's into bucket hats and fanny oh. packs, right? Those are the new. I wear free t-shirt. Yeah. A t-shirt. <laughs> but so what are your thoughts, Jake, on that? Any other like final thoughts on Nesto and how this is going to influence? the? Yeah. Audience? I love what Christine said in terms of, you know, don't be afraid of change. If the Nesto investment leads our lender partners to adopt the technology on their end, hopefully it will trickle down to our end as well specifically income, specifically down payment, which as we know is the most friction part of the frictionless experience. That's the optimist in me. The pessimist in me is worried that the average 20, 30, $10 million producer is just gonna have margins whittled, whittled down further and further. They just won't be able to compete on rate. But yeah, so that's kind of my balance here. My optimist and my pessimist. I've been a pessimist five years ago. I thought, you know, Dustin and I had a little bet going how much of our market will be taken up by certain digital players. Just because it hasn't happened yet in the US, just because Rocket still employs a ton of people manually to do the work, doesn't mean they can easily, quickly eradicate those manual people and start automating everything else. And what happens there will happen here eventually very quickly. Yeah, all trends kind of move from north to south. Okay, any final thoughts on that, Christine, before we move on to the next topic? I just think that it's not going to be popular opinion. And again, I'm in a small community, so we're all fighting each other with these whole rate buy down companies and everything. To me personally, I think we still don't have that much market share. And if these big companies are using lenders will stay in our space because we fund enough volume through them, then I'm okay with it. Like a broker's a broker's a broker. And I think that we do really have to think about our lender partnerships as well and how we can maintain profitability in the broker channel because we are really, really expensive. And so going back to Jake's point, I think commission will probably go down. I mean, we make a lot per deal, right? So yeah, there's definitely been commission compression, as you guys know. But the thing that has offset that is the fact that the average mortgage size has gone up significantly. So we still are paid in any case. Okay, so let's talk about open banking. And so tell me, Christine, like, what's your kind of thoughts around open banking? Where's it going? And how can brokers sort of, you know, pay attention to this? Yeah, so I think paying attention is paying attention to what's happening in other countries with open banking. I think that all of the information is available, and I think that we're going to see a lot of disruption with cryptocurrency, blockchain technology. I honestly, I don't know the logistics and how we'll get there, but there's so much information available that is not connected that eventually I think that the underwriting, the verification side is going to evolve to a point where 
we don't need as many humans. And think about our process right now. And a client is going to get a pay stub in hand, take that, print it to PDF, provide that to their mortgage broker, provide 90 days of bank statements, as well as deposit confirmation, which we say is for AML, but it wasn't caught when it first went in. So what are we going to say? No, sorry. It's really about the source of the deposits, right? So, and every single step along the way, there's a human touching it. And then we've got pre-funding audits and post-funding audits. And all of these things can be done by computers more efficiently and with less errors, less fraud. Sorry, I could ramble on about it. You have to be, keep, uh, yeah, yeah. keep, keep up with my, with my yeah, random. You're on your, uh, you know, monologue. Go. <laughs> Careful what you ask for. I think that it's going to start with immigration. So I think that what we have right now is a tricky, I guess, credit verification. I believe that once all of these pandemic restrictions start to lift, we're going to have a surge of immigration. And all of these people are going to want to buy houses, but they don't have established credit. So how are we going to find a solution to quickly finance them based on their merit from another country? And I think that that will sort of inch its way through maybe first-time buyers. And again, you have to remember the markets are all very different all across Canada. My market is considerably different than Jake's. I wouldn't even take a file if we bought less than you know seven days for financing. So we're having one blanket policy kind of go everywhere. And I think it's going to come down to sort of the connection of data, data integrity, and the speed and I guess just connection that we can create. Right. Jake, what are your thoughts on open banking and how it's going to impact the mortgage community? Look, I share the same frustrations that Christine just said about, hey, you've got the pay stub and it does this. And we just have to be very careful while we know we can automate it. What will that do to us? As in, we're the ones that bring that pay stub into the lender. If post-funding and pre-funding is audited and, and underwriting is audited, how will we get the deals done with a little bit of hair on them? How will we not be able to leverage our relationships? I'm not saying this won't happen. I definitely agree with Christine that it will. I love the idea that there will be a tipping point like immigration or some other kind. It could be a consumer-led tipping point. It could be an industry-led tipping point that will force the hands of our lender partners to finally be more tech savvy. And I just think we're waiting for that one lender to become that tech savvy. And some of them already are quite good at it until we see others come on board. I'm worried that we're just going to be a very slow dinosaur. And yeah, it's just, it's frustrating, but it's also super exciting to see, to think how much volume we can produce and how much more business we can do with such a transparent and easy system to work with. And if it's right. immigration, if you have yeah, AI awesome. underwriting the file for you, if you mean. I so think- why are we Google searching a client? Okay, so we've got this client. Now we're going to look them up on LinkedIn. Does your job letter match your LinkedIn profile? Like we are so archaic. When you look at how progressive other countries are, like I think biometrics will also be a thing. So I'll say, hey, Jake, you want to do a mortgage? Because obviously I'll be still mortgage brokering. And you pick up your phone and then it's just all tied in. It knows it's, you know, through biometrics. We know that this is your face. So it's already tied into your CRA account, your Equifax, all of your verification. And you can also have pre-linked all of your accounts. So you can have predictive, I guess, financial behavior that you could analyze within minutes and say, okay, well, Jake makes X amount per year. However, his spending habits dictate that he should be, you know, looking at financial products such as X, Y, Z. Buy another car, Jake, is what it's saying. (laughs) So so hold on, Christine, I have a question to that. Mm -hmm. So I pick up my phone, boom, you know all my spending habits, which are horrific, by the way. Where do you fit in or me? Where do we fit in to that equation? Because the 15-year-old Jake today that will be a client in 10 years of mine and yours, we both plan on being brokers for that long or longer. Well, they're no longer going to need us because they will have 
that app in front of them and they'll be so comfortable with it. And that's where I think the tipping point will be, will be consumer driven. That's why Nesto has such an influencer rating where people use their app, they're so happy with the lack of friction. And until we have the same technology capability, we'll be potentially left in the dust and or forgotten about. And I'm worried about that. Right. You know, one of the things I think about when you're talking there, Christine, is that one of the roles we provide as a mortgage broker is somebody wants to get a mortgage and there's all this data and different databases that we have to go collect all put together. And then we have to hand it off to somebody who then has to double check it. And I think that that part of the job is going to go away. I think that that data collection piece is going to be completely eliminated by AI at some point and by technology. But the human element is still going to be there. And I think that if you're good at sales, you're good at marketing, or the other option would be niche. So if you're super niche, where you solve like a very specific type of problem, people are still going to be a path to your door. But I think, you know, there's going to be a segment of the market, just like in the US that uses Quicken Loans, because it's just they work. But Quicken Loans does not work for everybody. I got a friend who competes with them. He's down in Houston, and he competes them all the time. And he beats them because the process is not frictionless as much as they're trying. They got lots of money, they got gobs of money, but they're still process is still not perfect. And because of that, he's able to take business from them all the time. Any other kind of insights, Christine, on open banking or what you kind of see what's happening? Oh my gosh, I have so many, <laughs> so many opinions. Was anything that's stressing you out about open banking and our industry? Or I don't think, I don't get stressed out about much. I think that I'm excited about it. I'm curious about it. For me, I want to pioneer some sort of a really cool digital disruption. That would be cool for me. That keeps me up at night is how do I do something so different that it disrupts our current banking system, which sounds crazy to think that somebody could do it, but I think I can. So look out in 10 years. Yeah, we'll see. I think that, yeah, the deals with the hair on it, those are the ones that we will be needed for. I think you can't discount the human element. So the number one thing that we're up against right now is the regulators and they're humans as well, right? So I think at some point, I wouldn't say we become obsolete, but we will become more of a sales role, I think ultimately more of a giving that client our app. You know, we're going to send them the link so that they can go through our app. I do think that we need to have more efficiency on the back end, like a property tax statement. Why am I gathering a property tax statement? Why can't we use an API? Why can't you just connect this and just know that, right? Like previous histories, when you start really looking again at other countries and how they're evolving, we are kind of in the dust right now. We're really, really playing by the big five rules. And I think that there will be a big disruption there. So what keeps me up at night is, yeah, just exciting about how we can change. What about you, Jake? What keeps you up at night? Oh, man. I don't know why I'm always worried. I'm always worried that tech will gobble us up faster than I think it will. But then Christine just said, how come we can API everything together? Then I get very calm when I realize, even as a consumer, I go to a bank and I try to get something done. Man, these legacy systems that have been implemented over the last dozens and decades of years behind us just don't talk to each other really well. And until they figure out a way of doing that. Most of them are on dial-up, I think. Yeah, like exactly. That's what I mean is until they figure out how they can all start talking to each other and avoid the privacy issues and regulatory issues, et cetera, and figure out the fraud issue, it's going to be a while. So that's the only thing that makes me a little more calm, you know, not to worry about open banking as much. But it certainly to me is the biggest threat to our industry and our existence entirely as a whole except for the tough deals, the private deals. And I know a lot of people will say in our comments, well, this is why I only do private business or, well, yeah, even the private space is starting to get to that place where 
do I really need to call 10 different mix to find out pricing on this? No, obviously now there are some platforms where I could just do it in three seconds. That's happening too in the private space. So don't think that it's just prime brokers that will be eaten up. It's the private world as well, which is far too expensive for what kind of service they're giving. I think as humans, we have a natural distrust of technology as well. So I know it's different for me in a small community because my number one issue that I've had over COVID is that everyone wants to meet in person still. So we don't, everybody has their printed documents. They come to my office, they want it to sit in person. So there will always be people who want to be told what to do or to be coached along the way. I've invested in a lot of these different calculators and things that I always send to clients. And the majority of them I find, they don't want to play around with the calculators. They want me to tell them, what do I qualify for? So although this new generation, which I put myself in the millennial category, not that I always identify as a millennial, but I think that they're looking for this quick solution. They're looking to have technology, get it done more effectively, I guess. However, they do still want someone to do it for them. So they want somebody to hold their hand throughout the process. And I think that there will still be a role for mortgage brokers. I think that we will have to raise our professional standards if we want to get paid as much as we do, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. And I think we just have to appreciate that every client is coming to us and they might have a thousand questions, but I'd rather them ask me a thousand questions than ask the internet and then get rooted back around to a, an online platform. Right. And that's one of the problems where there's so much information out there that it's actually overwhelming for people. So, you know, unless somebody becomes the go-to trusted brand, which sounds like Nestle's doing a good job of that, but there's so much information that's conflicting that consumers get confused and then confused. are like, I need to talk to somebody because they're saying this, they're saying that. And so I feel like that also helps us in our industry. Final thoughts on that, Jake? Yeah. If you build trust, you know, the person that's most transparent. I think Christine and I have done a great job in our various communities. People will call me all the time and refer to you all the time because you are that trusted source of info. Whether it benefits you or not, doesn't matter. And that professionalism, I agree. And this is going to segue to our third point, sort of professionalism, but I'm worried that the industry is fragmented so much within each other. Like Christine said earlier on, on before our chat was starting to record, there's so much fighting going on, lawsuits, this, that, and the third. And how do we bandy together to fight the bigger powers out there? And I don't know. I don't know how to do that yet. And I'm thinking of ways, but Christina's also thinking of ways. And so are you, Scott. So that's what yeah, I'm thinking. Interesting. You know, adopting technology, I don't know if you guys know this, but the original cargo ships that came from Europe to North America, they had 250 sailors on it. Then they put steam engines on them and they dropped 100 sailors. They didn't need them anymore because you got to run that thing all the time, right? And now a typical cargo ship that comes from China has 13 people on it. How many cargo ships from back in the you know 1700s could you fit on that boat? And there's 13 people on it. So I think that we as an industry have to adopt technology. We have to pay attention. I don't think you need to be afraid of it. But if you don't want to adopt technology, you will become extinct. Like I think that you're going to be like a sailor on a ship with a set of skills that are no longer necessary. And you don't want to have that happen to you. So to the last point that we're going to talk about is collaboration versus competition. So Christine, tell me about like, how do you think that we do a better job of collaborating? Because my thoughts on this, and I'll, I'll let you go, is that it seems to me that the reason that there's so much of this fighting is because it's about money. And at the end of the day, it's like everybody wants their piece of the pie. And so what are your thoughts on how do we collaborate better rather than compete? Yeah. So I think as a society, we're evolving rapidly. So this is a question that I ask people a lot, and I really try and think about it in my own life, is what does business mean to you? What does it mean to you when you say, oh, it's just business? 
does that give you the right to be an asshole over having a higher ethical standard because money's involved? So for me, I haven't heard anyone actually, and I would love if you guys have some feedback on it. I asked this question to a lot of people is what does it mean to you when you say it's just business? Does that mean you can screw somebody else over in the name of money? What does that mean? And so for me, I just think that once upon a time, the aggressive behavior, the you know undercutting, those kind of things actually achieved a desired result, which was whatever you're trying to get and winning. Now we have this environment where people are more transparent. We're holding each other to higher standards. And I think that collectively, we need to recognize that we need each other. We need as an industry to stop self-imploding and to support each other, to be better brokers, better humans. But I can't even <laughs> remember the original question there. I think that would be my main thing is to think about what it means to you. To right. That's a great question. It's just business. Business. Uh, yeah. Jake, go ahead, brother. What do you think on this idea of competing versus collaborating and Christine's thoughts on it's just business? It's never just business, but it really depends on where you are in your financial world right? I posted a question, what would you do with a million bucks? And some people answered, oh, I'd retire. And I think to myself, if you put your head down after years of hard work, et cetera, it's not difficult to make a million bucks in this industry. If you're a brand new broker, why did you get into this space? Why does everyone get into real estate? To make money. And then the second reason they get into real estate is they want to help people. We should flip that around. We should have people get into this space because they want to help others achieve financial success and empowerment, et cetera. And then I believe the money will come. I just think that as an industry, we are fighting. This broker has access to this lender, but they don't have access to this lender. I hate that. I wish we could all be one unified voice. It's not possible, I know, but it just really bothers me because there are some lenders I don't have access to, and I would love to, and I would help more people get a better mortgage if I had access to that lender. And what percentage of our decision-making is not just based on it's just business because I'm going to screw my other broker because I got a better rate. It's, I'm going to put this client with this lender because they're paying me 10 basis points more. How many times have I heard a colleague of mine say, ooh, I sent this deal to lender X because they pay me $500 more. I'm like, $500 matters to you over the client's happiness? I think the ethical lines need to be further solidified. And that's what I, that's what I think. I yeah. do want to know my prediction for the 10 years while we have this open banking system. Sure. I think networks will have less of a role. I think anything in life is a pendulum shift. And we used to have these kind of smaller boutique brokerages, and then we shifted to these super brokerages. My personal opinion is that I don't deserve to get paid top comp on a lender who I don't use. So for example, Blue Shore, I now have access to them. That's great. But if I send them a deal, I don't know their underwriting as well as I would one of my top lenders. I might not package it exactly how they want to see it. I'm not going to be as great of a broker or great of a partner to them as I would be with one of my top lenders. Do I deserve to get paid top comp simply because I'm a part of some massive group? I don't. I yeah, really and I don't. think lenders are also seeing that. I think so too. And I think this doesn't we work. need to earn our way to top comp. We need to earn our way to access. And just because you can have some name behind you is not going to force a relationship. And I think they're going to look at efficiency ratios. I think that they're going to look at your overall volume and how you treat each other. And just in general, I think relationships are going to become more important individually than the network you're affiliated with. Right. Relationships and reputation. Be right. careful what you say online. Be careful what you write online. Be smart about what lender you're attacking that day because they couldn't get you a deal done. I think all of those things will come into a play in terms of the next five to 10 years as well. Even further than online, which I totally agree with. Sometimes I'm like, you know, they read this, right? But my favorite game to play with my underwriters is 
tell me who the worst broker you've dealt with was and why, which I know is, you know, not very mature, but because I want to make sure that I never fall into that category. And some of the stories that underwriters have, and you know what, Jake and I have been both doing it long enough now that many doc reviewers, when I first started are now team leads. When I need an exception with one of my top lenders, that person used to be my doc reviewer. And I knew what they liked to drink and I treated them kindly. I'm far more likely to get an exception than the whole, you know, get my deal done because I'm so-and-so or just yeah. the, some of the mean things, the way that we treat people, even if you just do it in a self-serving way, knowing that one day that person might need to do you a favor as well, just treating every human as a human. You know, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And you know, the idea you said it before, you can't get away with being an asshole. The whole it's just business thing is companies can't get away with bad behavior now because the public can call them out online and you can get reviews. It started out initially as companies now had to behave better I think we're moving to the stage where it's now we're calling out individuals and you see this happening in the media. And when somebody's misbehaving, people are not accepting it. They're like, I'm not dealing with this. And I think people are going to have to really adjust how they are going to interact with others. And you can't just be an asshole and a bully because they're going to get called out. Okay. Any other thoughts, Jake, final thoughts on competing versus collaborating? (laughs) Be a better human. Most important, be a good human in front of your client, you know, be responsible, be accountable. It's crazy during COVID how many times, you know, things have gone sideways and how many times a client has been like, hey, you know, what's happening with my file? And I'll say, look, sorry, it's been a crazy couple of days. No problem. Thank you. Just acknowledge where we're at, treating your staff fairly and friendly and making sure they appreciate and being aware of what's gone on through COVID and not just you, your client, your underwriter, your lawyer, appraiser, all of this stuff. It's been such a crazy balancing act that I'm so glad that we're getting through to it, but hopefully it will carry forward in the collaboration part where if you have a deal that you can help another agent or broker on, on ILMB and they post about it, you know, do your best, try and help out and let's just try to be better. That's it. That's all I can say. That's good, man. Christine, what's the final word on collaboration versus competing? It's a little bit off, but I was just circle back to what Jake said, because I just love it so much. And I worked in the service industry for years, as I'm sure a lot of us did coming into this. And I remember some of the meanest people saying the rudest things. And I had to shift my mentality. I think that's where I learned empathy, really, is I would always think to myself, oh, my gosh, imagine Imagine being so miserable that it spills over to everything you're doing in that day. You know, and I say to my kids all the time, whatever your emotions are, let's attribute a color to it. So if you're feeling sad, you're wearing your blue glasses or whatever color you know resonates with you or red. And so really, if you're angry and you're wearing red glasses, everything around you is tinted by those red tinted glasses. So imagine that you're just so unhappy that you're wearing those unhappy glasses and everything around you is, is miserable. That is a horrible feeling. We've all been in that position where you've been, you know, ruder than you could have probably been or treated somebody poorly. And it's just such a crappy feeling. So just to sit back and think, wow, that person must be really going through something if they can call me a fucking idiot, you know, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, but really to treat somebody like that, they must be really hurting inside. And so I think if you can shift that and just understand everybody's got a story, everybody's got a battle that you know nothing about. Yeah. You know, Christine, that's a really, really good point. I have the most amazing staff. I have my full-time associate partner person and I've got my new underwriter and sometimes they say to me like don't they get it the appraisal has to be done or don't they under-? and I say guys always put ourselves in the position of a first-time buyer if you can't do that you will never succeed in this job because you always have to imagine this is super important for this person this is the biggest decision of their lives 
And if we're like, oh, yeah, I'll call you later. It's not that important. I think that's where a lot of us go wrong. And I'm trying to make sure that my staff understand that as well. Like, remember when you were in that position? But I love the idea of even as a broker, like, hey, I'm really mad today. I'm wearing all red. No, let's change the color of my glasses. That's great parenting advice, too, of anyone That's listening. That's really good parenting so advice. So thank you, yes, Christine, for the bonus. Mortgage and parenting <laughs> advice in this show. It's how we roll. That's it. Uh, <laughs> and one you're time right a coach said to me, racing cars upstairs. Yeah, a coach said to me, show up with curiosity and compassion. That's yeah. the, the mindset you need to have for when you're yeah. dealing with people because it'll change the way you view it. The set of glasses, curiosity and compassion, what's going on here? And I think it's sometimes it's okay to have those glasses on, too. Like, I think that the biggest gift we can give ourselves and our children and both parenting side is just the ability to work through those emotions instead of just repressing them, right? You're just like, take those glasses off now. But it's okay to have those feelings. And I think to just sit in them for a while. Like, if sometimes you just have such a shitty day or you're just, you're pre-funding audits. I get them all the time. And you're just, this lender, this whatever. You feel so frustrated in the moment. But then you have to just take a holistic view of the world and just sort of sit in them and then move forward to the next one. Right. That's awesome. Thank you guys for this chat. It's a lot of fun and we'll keep an eye on what's happening in terms of the industry and maybe I'll have you guys back on again another time. We'll talk about some other topics because this was a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks everyone. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.